This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter number 12, if you would, this morning, 2 Corinthians 12. If you missed any of the messages so far in this series, you can always get caught up on our website at whoecala.org. You uh, can subscribe to our podcast. Uh, you can also um, download our smartphone app, your phone or your tablet. Whatever way you need to stay caught up on these messages, do it. Uh, we've been taking a look at, over the last 10 weeks, uh, suffering and the sovereignty of God. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Uh, why, when I'm trying to do my best to follow God, do difficult things come into my life? Uh, why, when I'm rebellious to God, uh, do difficult things come into my life? We answer all those questions and more uh, in this series here. Uh, we've uh, been just going through different passages of Scripture that talk about affliction. It's interesting, many times, uh, many churches will emphasize the goodness of God and how uh, God wants to bless your life and all those things are true, but we have to balance that uh, with the fact that the Bible says difficult times will come, suffering will come into the life of a Christian. Uh, Oftentimes when people aren't aware of that fact, they think to themselves, I must be doing something wrong. If I'm trying to follow God, but difficult things come, then maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm broken. Maybe I'm no good at this, Uh, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Many times, uh, as we'll find in scripture, difficult times come to Uh, everyone, uh, regardless of your circumstances in life and your level of obedience that you have. And so how do we process that? How do we work through that? Uh, The Bible gives us clear guidelines as far as how we should do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start in, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we're going to start in verse number 7 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. Actually, let's start in verse number one just to give us the context of this passage and we'll read down through verse number uh, 10. Uh, It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. It's not a good thing that I would brag or boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. And such a one caught up into the third heaven. And I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. And he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now we're gonna pause here for just a second. I want to tell you what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I had a vision and I went to heaven. And I don't know if it was my body in heaven or whether it was my spirit in heaven, but I was there. God knows all the details of it, but I was in heaven and I heard people saying words that it's not lawful for a man to utter. I can't tell you what what was said there. It's not a good thing for you. Now, I want to tell you this. Paul had a very unique experience that would be considered supernatural. I want to say this, this doesn't happen all the time. This doesn't happen for you and I. Paul was being used in a unique way to write the Bible for us, uh, to write scripture. And God needed to show him things to communicate things to us. And so Paul had a unique experience that is not duplicatable by you or I. So don't think to yourself that you need to see visions from heaven to be walking with God, or that if you're close in in your walk with God, that you'll see visions also. Anytime someone says that they had a vision from God and God told them X, just automatically put that over to this side and just focus on what the Bible says. Uh, God has clearly revealed himself through the pages of scripture. Uh, God no longer uses visions, revelations, dreams to communicate himself to us. He's given us clear black and white uh, 
scripture to guide us in life. And so we, when it comes to making decisions for life or planning out life or uh, just having wisdom and discernment, scripture gets the very first say always, and scripture always gets the last say as well. Uh, everything else is subjective, uh, but the Bible is always objective. And so I want to encourage you with that. Paul's saying, I got to see things in heaven that nobody else has ever seen. That's important to how it relates to our message this morning. So I wanted to pull over and say that for just a sec. Verse number five. Uh, such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but I now forbear it, lest any man should think me above which he seemeth to be that he that heareth me lest I should be exalted above measure through an abundance of revelation because I've seen so much and I've experienced so much and lest people would lift me up and think that Paul was somebody he said there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me and he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly will I therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am I strong. It's a misconception many times that many young Christians have or even sometimes many carnal Christians have that God always answers your prayers in the way that you pray them. And sometimes it can be frustrating to think to yourself, I'm praying so hard about this and I'm asking God to do this for me and it just didn't come out the way that I thought that it would. Uh, I shared uh, earlier in this series how my grandmother, when I was in fourth grade, had, had gotten lung cancer. And we prayed and prayed and prayed like I'd never prayed before, like a nine-year-old boy has never prayed before in his life, uh, that God would heal my grandmother, and she died. Uh, and I remember as a nine-year-old trying to process through that, okay, uh, I prayed really hard. God promises in his word that if we ask, he'll give it to us, uh, that if we ask, seek and knock, that it's going to be open to us, he's going to give it to us. Uh, what did I do wrong? And I remember as a nine-year-old boy thinking my prayers weren't enough to save my grandmother, but that's a flaw view on how God answers prayer. If God simply did whatever you told him to do, then God would no longer be God, you would. If you got to call all the shots and got to map out your life plan and God just had to do what you told him to do, then God's no longer God, you are. And unfortunately, many Christians have created themselves a theology of God that God basically answers to them. God does what uh, we tell him to do and that God is at our behest and at our whim. That couldn't be further from the truth. Here in this case, we see Paul, uh, some would argue, one of the most uh, um, strongest Christians to ever walk the face of the planet. God used him to influence so many people throughout human history, and he's given us a good portion of the New Testament in Scripture, yet Paul continued to ask God again and again and again for the same thing, and God continued to say, no. And so we need to understand that God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we think that he should or the way that we think is appropriate. God doesn't always fall in line with our plans that we have because God's plans are always better than our plans. God always is at work. God always has a plan. He always has a purpose in your suffering. And many times when God answers your prayers, he answers with either yes, no, or not yet. But God always has an answer. And we have to come to the place where we can trust in God's answer. When you face difficulty and suffering, if you're currently in a season of difficulty and suffering or trial, know this, God knows exactly where you are and he wants you to trust him through it. God's promised to give you the resources that uh, you need to make it through this difficult time uh, in your life. 
I want to encourage you to be here every week, but uh, November 24, three weeks from today, uh, we're going to cover what the Bible has to say about depression and suicide. I've never been in a church my entire life where someone has spoke an entire message on it. I've been in church my entire life, uh, 40 plus years, every single Sunday, uh, every single Wednesday. I've never heard a pastor for one week talk about depression. I have heard people say offhanded statements that were very unhelpful, uh, that were very hurtful, that were damaging to anyone who were struggling with depression. And I just wanna say this as an aside, I'll give you a preview so that you, you, you know what to expect. But know this, if you're struggling with depression right now, I want you to know it's okay, but you can't live there. It's okay to go through it. It's okay to walk through difficult times. It's okay to walk through the darkness, but you cannot live there. And I wanna give you the tools and resources that you need to help you from a spiritual aspect. And we're also gonna talk about the physical and emotional aspect of, of things like that as well. But I'm telling you this, it's okay. Sometimes people think, well, I'm a terrible Christian if I'm depressed. I'm a terrible Christian if, I, if I'm down or discouraged or frustrated. I always encourage people when they feel that way to read through the Psalms. You talk about a guy who was going through the thick of it. He was up on the mountaintop one day, he was down in the valley the next, and he struggled back and forth many Men of God throughout the Bible asked God to take their own life because they didn't want to live any longer. We're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about that. And I want to tell you that I want to see you come through it. We can't, we can't live there. We can't lay down. We can't give up. That's just not an option for us. And so I want to encourage you to be here on the 24th. You know somebody that you think that'd be helpful for, invite them to be your guest on that day. And that'll be the end of our series on suffering and affliction. And we'll go into our, our holiday messages. And then we got a brand spanking new theme for 2020 that I'm so pumped about. Uh, and so I was uh, talking with my doctor the other day and he said, oh, you got a lot of good stuff planned for the new year at the church. I go, I do and stuff like that. And he says, uh, you got a, a good 2020 vision set up? And I go, I think so. And he goes, you missed that. And I go, what? He goes, 2020 vision and I go, oh, wow, what a missed opportunity, right? And so our New Year theme does not incorporate the word vision in any ways, and I feel like I missed the boat on that one. But uh, um, I want to encourage you to be here on the 24th and, and be here every Sunday. I know you'll be helped by these messages as we look at what uh, the Bible has to say. Paul was going through a difficult spot. Again, we had... Um, I've seen in several places through here uh, where Paul has suffered, gone through difficult times. In this case here, uh, last week we took a look, Paul was in prison. He was writing and telling them to, to be joyful during trials and tribulation. Paul, when he talks here about his thorn in the flesh, this word thorn was, isn't a thorn like you and I would think would be attached to a flower or something like that. It literally means a stake, a long, sharp instrument that was causing him intense uh, grief, pain, difficulty. And Paul is intentionally vague. And again, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. God, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible for us. And I believe God is intentionally vague. If Paul was speaking of health trials in this situation, only the people that are struggling with a health trial today would find comfort in this passage. If Paul is talking about relational difficulty, only those who are struggling with relational difficulty would get that. If Paul is talking about financial problems, uh, only those who could identify with Paul's financial problems would get help from that. But the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is a hurtful, difficult time in Paul's life. Can you identify with that? I think all of us definitely can. Again, I've heard uh, pastors over the years talk about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And we got two good Bible, two, uh, good Bible study words two weeks ago, exegesis and eisegesis. And if you exegete the scripture, meaning you draw truth out of the Bible, you will never find anywhere in the pages of scripture where Paul's thorn in the flesh is explained. But if you eisegete or read into the text, you can come up with about a dozen or so different things that Paul's thorn in the flesh had to be. Uh, it was his vision. It was his arthritis. Uh, and again, people try to use scripture to say, you know, Paul says that uh, 
to, to one group of believers, you would have given your eyes for me. Uh, and people say, oh, that means that Paul had bad eyesight or Paul had an eye disease. Uh, another part, part, portion of Scripture, Paul says, see how big of a letter that I've written you with my own hands? That means that Paul had arthritis and stuff like that. Hey, we don't know, and let me tell you this morning, it doesn't matter. God has told us everything that he wants us to know in his word. And so to, to have conjecture or make up stuff or make up really good stories that go along with it that identify with us just isn't helpful at all. It's just let the Bible talk for the Bible. But as Paul talks through here, uh, he's speaking, uh, he even goes on so far to say, take a look at verse number seven this morning, that the, the, uh, there's given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. That word uh, messenger is the same word that's used for the word angel. So Paul's speaking of demonic activity that's attacking him here. This is not just Paul going through a rough spot. This is Satan himself actively attacking Paul. Now, this also brings up another important part. Uh, Some types of Christianity would teach that we have power and dominion over Satan. We have power and dominion over demons and demonic activity and things along those lines. Just know this, if that were the case, Paul would have said to the demons, get out of here, and it would have been over with. And so we have no power in and of ourselves. All power rests with God, and when God has set something forth to happen, it's gonna come to pass whether you and I like it or not. So Paul, in this case, asked three times that it would be removed, and it wasn't. But God says something unique to Paul here. Take a look at verse number nine. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. That word grace is a beautiful word. The word grace means God's undeserved favor. It means it's a gift that God's given to you because you did not deserve it. And it's God doing something for you in a very unique way. I love the word favor. As you read throughout scripture, you'll find the word favor uh, usually synonymous with the word grace. I love the way the psalmist says it. He says, God, would you cause your face to shine upon me? When I explain favor to people, I tell them this is God doing something for you that he's not doing for everybody else. I believe our church has seen God's hand of favor and blessing. I believe God's done things here at Hui Call that he doesn't do for other churches here in our city or other churches in America or other churches in the world. And we should greatly desire God's favor, greatly desire God's blessing because he gives it as he chooses, not based on how good we are, but based on his own goodness. God gave us his grace through his son Jesus and he gave us saving grace. You and I had broken God's law. You and I had sinned against the holy God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of my sin and because of yours, we owe God big time. And we just don't owe him better behavior or owe him a couple of bucks here and there, owe him our Sunday mornings. We owe him our life. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because you've sinned against the holy God, you will die one day and then face God's judgment. That's the penalty of your sin. It's the penalty of my sin. And when you die and stand before God, he's not gonna open up a book and and take a look at the good things you've done and the bad things that you've done. He's gonna open up a book that's called the book of life. And if your name is not found written in the book of life, the Bible says those that were not written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. You're gonna die and go to hell if you're not a child of God. If your name's not written in that book of life. You can't put your own name there if you wanted to. You can't be good enough to get your name in the book. What religious stuff do I have to do? Where do I have to be baptized to get my name in that book? Friend, you cannot do anything of your own power to get your name in the book because your sin is too great. 
Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus says, I'm willing to die in his place. I'm willing to take Anthony's sin upon me. I'm willing to take the sin of the entire world upon myself and pay the penalty that's required. What's the penalty? Death. That's why Jesus had to hang on that beautiful, terrible cross. That's why Jesus had to pay the payment that was required by a holy God for my sin and for yours. And if you're willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you can be saved from your sin. That God will forgive you of your sin. He will open up that book of life. He will write your name in that book of life. And the Bible says that no man can blot your name out of that book. Nobody can take that back from you. Your name is written in the book of life that when you get to heaven one day and you stand before the judgment of God, he's gonna open up the book and he's gonna look for your name. And when your name is there, he's gonna say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. I'm glad that you're here. But friend, if your name is not in that book, Revelation chapter 20 says you will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity and there's no second chances there. Why would God give you a first chance? Why would God give you the opportunity to come to him? because of his beautiful word, grace. Think of it this way. You get pulled over by a police officer. You're speeding along uh, the freeway. I'm sure it's never happened to anybody in this room because we're all good Christian folks here. Uh, but if you have a pastor like yours, uh, your pastor's familiar with this type of thing. Uh, and so can, if you can imagine being pulled over by a police officer, he comes up and asks for your safety and your registration, your insurance, and your driver's license. You give him all those things and uh, you say, he says, do you have anything you'd like to say? Yes, I'd like to say that I'm very sorry for what I've done. I'd like to apologize for breaking the law. And I want you to know from this day forward, I'm not gonna be perfect, but I'm gonna do my best to be a better driver and to change my ways. And imagine the police officer says, I had a ticket written for you, but I'm just gonna go ahead and tear it up right now. And I'm gonna throw it out. Just as if it never happened. That would be mercy. I didn't get what I was supposed to get. I didn't get what was coming to me. But imagine this, that the police officer says, you are so sincere that I'm going to give you a hundred dollar bill. It's a five, okay? <laughs> imagine it's a hundred dollars. I'm going to give you a hundred dollar bill. Well, what's this for? Just because I love you. No, 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 I broke the law. I don't really deserve this. I know, but I want you to have it because I care for you deeply. Can you imagine how awkward of a scene that that would be? How weird that would be? But can you imagine the fact that you have rebelled against God not once or twice, but again and again and again and again and again for our entire lives and existence? And God says to you, I'm not gonna give you hell. I've torn that up because of what? my son has done for you, and I'm giving you eternal life. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the promises of my word, and I, from this day forward, will be your father, and you will be my child, and I'm gonna care for you from here on out. You look at that, and you go, that doesn't make any sense. That's grace. That's what grace is. You don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of this, but God is so good that he chooses to give it to us anyways. And God's grace was not good just for the day that you got saved. You need God's grace every single day. And if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved, God's grace is ready to receive you as a son, as a daughter. Despite what you've done, God's grace is enough to cover your sin. 
Bible says in Romans chapter 5, beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. It says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That God's grace is always greater than your sin. You can never out the grace of God because God loves you. God's willing to receive you as his own if you're willing to be his child, if you're willing to repent of your sin, if you're willing to come to him. That's what grace does. But grace helps me to walk with Jesus every day. And grace is my rock that I cling to in difficult times. And God says to Paul, Paul, I'm not taking your thorn away. I'm not gonna make this stop. I want you to trust in my grace. A few things that we find through this passage of scripture this morning for taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do write these thoughts down this morning. First of all, affliction is sent to keep us humble. Paul said, lest I be exalted, lest people think that Paul was somebody, God sent me something to keep me humble. Humility is not a trait that we possess by nature. Pride is. We're naturally proud. We naturally think that we have it together. We naturally want people to look at us and want what we have. We want to be the best at what we do. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to be viewed in a positive light. People are willing to to lie, cheat, steal to be viewed in a positive light. People are willing to borrow money at exorbitant interest rates to be liked by other people. Remember when I just got out of boot camp and we went to um, get stationed in Pensacola, Florida for my uh, A school when I was in the Navy. There was a guy in our class that had gone uh, to one of those car lots right outside the Navy base and bought a Mustang that was two years old and he paid above Kelly Blue Book and he got back and he goes, I got such a good deal on this. I can totally make the monthly payment on this and that's all he's concerned with. And we got to looking at it. The dude financed it for 72 months at 26% interest. And for those of you that don't know how to calculate interest, <laughs> he paid a lot of money for a car that was not worth it. But, but he felt like somebody when he rolled up in that car. And I thought to myself, who buys a Mustang with a V6? Girls do. <laughs> you know? What were you thinking, man? If you're a guy with a V6 Mustang, I apologize to you this morning. <laughs> I can help you with that later. Uh, but it's just like, what, what were you thinking, man? He wanted to be impressive, and he was willing to do whatever it took uh, to do that. Uh, after that, they, we had a mandatory briefing on how to buy a car, what not to do. And you had to get your paper signed off before you could ever get in. It was a mess uh, just because of this one guy. Hey, look, we're willing to do whatever it takes to be looked favorably. So God sometimes sends affliction in our life to, and I know if you have a misconstrued view of who God is, I know this statement's gonna sound really harsh. If you grew up maybe even in an abusive home, this, this, this statement's gonna sound terrible. But if you know the loving heart of your father, you'll know that this is a gift. Sometimes God sends trials into your life to remind you who's in charge. And again, I know if you have a, a misperception of who God is, that sounds like he's trying to be the boss or he's trying to throw his weight around or, sh- or show you how strong he is or even hurt you on purpose to prove that he's something. That's not God's intention at all. God knows that being connected to him brings the greatest joy out of your life. He knows that discovering his grace will give you so much more than what this world has to offer that he's actually guiding you into a a place of greater joy in your life. But again, I know some people can misunderstand that, but God gives us affliction sometimes to keep us humble. You see, all suffering is God-ordained 
to fulfill his purpose. We won't spend a lot of time here on this thought this morning, but we've talked, taken a look at several weeks ago about the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge of everything from beginning to end. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And even your trials and difficulties were foreordained and forepurposed by God to bring about something good for you and to bring about his glory. <laughs> Job chapter one, verse number 20, Job arose and rent his mantle. Job was so afflicted that he didn't know what to do. He just tore his clothes and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. Just pause for just a second. Job lost everything that a man could lose. And you know what his first thing to do was after he got a haircut and took his clothes off? His first instinct was worship, to pray, to seek God. First thought. Now you and I, our first thought is generally, okay, how can I get myself out of this mess? How can I fix what's broken here? And then after a while, we get frustrated with God and we get angry with God. God, why are you doing this to me? Of all the things I've done for you, he's like, you're really gonna give this to me? Job says, no, I trust God. And look at what he says after that. And said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey, if I got anything, it's because God gave it to me. If I lose anything, it's because God took it. God's good and he'll always be good. I'm just gonna praise him. And that's a different perspective on what we go through sometimes. But Job had the appropriate perspective. Hey, if I have anything good, it's because God gave it to me. Oh, I lost my job. Well, God gave you your first job. He's gonna give you another job if he sees fit. Just trust him through it. Oh, man, uh, God took my family from me. Man, God gave you your family. God can take away your family at any time. God's always good. Oh, my health is struggling. The fact that Job even says further in the book of Job, why does a living man complain? If you have breath in your lungs, what are you griping about? And if you have breath in your lungs, it's because God's given it to you. Just trust him. Next in this passage, we see that affliction is sent to keep us dependent upon God. Again, verse number seven, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations there was given me a thorn in the flesh This concept here that I'm getting ready to share with you, I think will change your life if you can really latch onto this perspective and apply it to your life. God's not interested in getting you out of your trial, but rather getting you through it. So many times when we face difficulty and suffering, we're immediately looking for an exit. How do I get out of here as quickly as possible? How do I get this done with? How can this just be over so I don't have to deal with it ever again? That's not the purpose of your trial. God is doing something through your suffering. God is strengthening you. He is teaching you. He is drawing you closer to himself. He is comforting you. He is giving you his promises. He's showing himself faithful and he's giving you grace every single day. But you and I are just like, ah, get me out of this. God's like, nope, hang tight, hang tight. There have been many trials that I've gone through in my life that I've wasted because I was looking for the exit. I was looking for the fastest way out. Hey, how can I fix this? What can I do to get over this? And many times it's not about the exit as much as it is about the process. That's hard. Because again, if we have a misperception of who God is, we think that God's there to just get us out of every mess that we're in. Oh, I'm in a bad mess. And God just picks us up and drops us over in in a better place. That's not realistic. Can God do that? Sure. Does he do it? Sometimes for sure. Is that always the norm? Definitely not. 
But this process of suffering that you're going through is bringing about something really good for you. I know it doesn't feel good, but it's going to be good. It's a process that you have to, to endure. It's part of the strengthening that takes place in the life of a Christian. You see, you and I must draw close to God in the intensity of our pain. I've spoken with many Christians who have said, Pastor, I just want the pain to stop. I know, I've been there, done that. I just want this to be over with. I know, I do too, I've been there. Pastor, it's so intense, I don't know how much longer I can stand it. I know, I'm with you. And, and again, we're gonna take a look at this on the 24th. But if thoughts of suicide ever enter your mind, you need to reach out to somebody and get help. And, and somebody called me and says, Pastor, I'm thinking about taking my life. The first thing I wanna do is I'm gonna come and find you where you are. I'm gonna sit with you until we call somebody for help because that's not my area of expertise. I'm not a, a suicide prevention counselor. We need to talk to professionals in cases like that. And if that's the case for you, please reach out for help. And any person who ever thinks, well, I, I would die, nobody would ever care. Just know that couldn't be further from the truth. It's a lie from the devil, and you can't afford to even entertain thoughts like that. Just can't. But if you're there, don't think to yourself, oh, I'm a terrible person, I'm a horrible Christian, I'm ashamed and embarrassed by this. Own it, embrace it, get the help that you need, be stronger, move on. That's God's plan for you. And again, you read through the Psalms, you'll find somebody who's exactly where you are right now. You say, well, I'm not really going through a trauma. Read through the Psalms. You'll find the psalmist there. I'm in the deepest, darkest pit of my life. Great. You'll find your help in the Psalms. Guarantee you every single time. But when we feel that intense pain, that's our time to draw close to God. Book of James promises this. Draw nigh unto God, and he'll draw nigh unto you. That's the time to dig in deeper. You see, many people in the intensity of their pain and the deepness of their trial, they want to push God away. <laughs> I've heard people before say, well, pastor, we've been struggling in our marriage lately, so we just didn't think it's best to be in church. What? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's like saying, I am so sick, I cannot go to the doctor. I just can't make it today. I, I am so sick, I can't go to the hospital. I mean, just, I just can't get over it. No, if you're going through difficulty, you need God, you need God's people, you need a community, a family of people who are gonna walk with you through this process. That's what you need. So, but many times people, when they go through this difficult time, they push God off. And that's the opposite of what you need. Psalm 18, verse number two, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation and my high tower, we must run to the grace of God again and again. Psalm 18 is a place that I take people when they're going through difficult times. You've lost a family member or a loved one, I always take them to Psalm 18. Don't really know why things are happening in life right now, take them to Psalm 18. You know why? Because our hope is not in what we can do, our hope is in the Lord. And the Lord is so many things. Again, take a look at that verse. A rock, a fortress, deliverer my God, my strength, the person who I can trust in, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I love that word buckler. It's not a word that we use in our vernacular today. The word buckler means shield, but not just any shield. 
in biblical times, there was two types of shields that they would use. They would use one that was the size about four feet high that you could lean behind. The Bible says God is that type of shield as well. We take a look at the uh, armor of God in Ephesians 6. That's the type of shield it's talking about where we can hide behind it when we need to. But this type of shield, the buckler, was a small circular shield that you could use in the midst of battle, not only for protection, but also for offense as well. You gotta think of it like the Captain America shield if you want to, right? That's what God is to me. He not only keeps me safe, he also is my offense and mows down every opposition that stands in my path when he chooses to. And I can trust in that. And I have to run to his grace again and again and again. Next, we see in this passion that affliction is sent to display God's strength to others. Take a look at verse number nine, if you would. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That word perfect doesn't mean without flaw. It means mature, complete. My power is put on complete display when you are at the end of your rope. My power can be manifest to everyone around when you are at your weakest point that you have. Psalm 109, verse 26, Help me, O Lord, my God, and save me according to thy mercy, that they may know that this is thy hand, that thou, Lord, hast done it. The times where we have faced great difficulty in our life, we've been able to say, God brought us through it. My daughter, Makili, uh, had gotten an infection at one years old. They thought that she had lymphoma cancer. She had some blood problems for, man, a year after that. She was seeing a, a hematologist at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. And, and uh, nobody tells you at the time when you're, you have kids that are going to a hematologist that hematologists are also oncologists. If you don't know what an oncologist is, it's a cancer doctor. So imagine going up to, to the, the, the uh, doctor's office. Oh, we're here to see the hematologist. They go, oh, this is an oncology office. You're like, wait, what? And the doctor says, I'm looking at her blood work and I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm not, I'm not seeing what's happening here, but she has a, uh, a blood deficiency and things like that. And we're going to continue to monitor. And we just continue to pray and continue to trust God through it. And then six months later, they go and take her blood and they said, everything looks normal. Like, we're going to redraw again because we think maybe it didn't come back right, but we're going to test again. And if the test results are the same, then she's completely cleared up. And so went back, looked at it, sure enough, completely cleared up. And the doctor goes, wow, we, we didn't change our, any type of treatment that we were doing. We haven't given her any type of medication. We don't know what happened. And I said, oh, I know what happened. Oh, yeah, tell us. And the doctor's got his pen out. God healed her. And he's like, yeah, okay. Uh, but we're still trying to figure out what happened. I was like, no, we don't need any answers from here on out. We're good. And, and sure enough, well, let's come back in 12 months and, and take a look at her blood work. So, sure, 12 months, come back, everything's good. We're still really puzzled on what happened. I'm not puzzled. God healed her. And did I get the glory for war worrying every night? No. Did I say, yeah, I, I stayed up every night and Googled and I read every article there was on WebMD and totally freaked myself out, and that's what brought us through it. No. I said, God's faithful. Man, God is good. Let me pause for just a second and say, had God taken my daughter's life, I would stand here before you today and say, God is so faithful and he's so good. My belief in God's faithfulness and his goodness is not predicated upon my circumstances working out in my favor. God's faithful and he's always good, regardless of what happens. 
Her daughter, Makila, just turned 11. She's over in Super Church today having a blast. Her daughter, Tulula, when she was born, um, her, her neck sat at a 90-degree angle on her shoulder, and she couldn't lift up her head. And so she, we'd pick her head up, and it would immediately go right back over. And so we'd take her in. They're looking at her neck and stuff like that. She had some neck problems and things like that. They were concerned because uh, she'd always balled up her, um, her thumbs and her fists like this. Um, they were looking at some of her joints and the way that they were aligned, and we took us to a specialist, and we had it looked at and things like that. And they said, she's showing, showing early signs of cerebral palsy. And we're not sure she'll ever walk or ever run or ever be right and stuff like that. And you know what we did? All right, we'll just trust God. And people are like, oh, what are you, what are you doing about it? We got some solid doctors that are telling us what to do, and we're just trusting God through it. And during that time, when you think about your daughter might never walk, what thoughts do you have? We didn't sit and say, oh, well, she'll never run. She'll never walk down the aisle. She'll never, man, how do we take this situation and give God glory for it? How do we take this situation and show how good God is? I'm not going to sweat. I'm not going to worry. Now, mind you, we sought medical uh, advice. We got second opinions. We got people in our church that are doctors. I asked them what they thought about it. Uh, we had her checked out by specialists and things like that. Everything that we should do. But at the end of the day, hey, God's in charge. And Tallulah just turned two a few weeks ago, and you can't stop that girl from running, right? Good grief. Um, And what happened? God just took care of all of it. God worked it all out. He's faithful. And let me just tell you this. If my daughter had cerebral palsy and she would never walk again, I'll tell you this. God worked it out, and he's faithful. Because God's goodness and faithfulness is not predicated upon my circumstances working out in my favor. It's based upon it's who God is, and you can trust him. But God wants to show how strong he is through your life. That's why he's given you this. Not to hurt you, but to show his glory, to show his goodness. God didn't put this trial in your life to do you harm. God put this in your life because he wants you to be stronger and he wants you to show other people how good he is. And if you have children, God is using your trial to show your children how good God is and how faithful he is. Don't waste that trial. If you don't have children and you're maybe struggling in your marriage, God's taking this struggle that you're going through to show how strong he is in your life and prove it to you so that you can show it to other people. If you're a single adult, God wants to show you that he's enough, he's faithful, and he's good so that you can show that to other people. I'm so thankful for the single adults in our church. And just have a heart for God, a desire to love, a desire to serve, And I've met so many single adults who think to themselves that they're less of a person because they're not married. They're just sitting around waiting for life to start when they get married. I'm thankful that our single adults are like, hey, I don't need a man. I don't need a woman to complete me. God's got a plan for my life, and I'm going to passionately pursue it. If God brings somebody along to help me in that passionate pursuit, I'm I'm on it. But if not, I'm just going to trust God and move forward because he's good. You know what that does? That shows other people. Hey, God's still faithful. Hey, God's still good. I point out some of our single ladies to some other single ladies in our church, and I say, hey, you need to spend time with so-and-so. She's been walking with the Lord for decades, and she's faithful to the Lord. You need to spend some time with her because she's shown God's strength in her trial. I know people who walk through adultery in a marriage, and they've come out on the other side stronger as a result of it. I say, hey, you should spend time with that couple and just learn from them what it means to walk through that darkness in their marriage. I know men who have been victorious over with pornography. 
and say, hey, you should spend time with so-and-so. He was struggling with what you were struggling, and he came out on the other side better as a result of it. We need to be faithful in our trials so that we can show God's goodness and his faithfulness to other people. And Paul says, hey, God gave me this because he wanted his power to be shown. Next, affliction is sent to teach us about the power of Jesus. Here, particularly verse number nine, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I'm so glad that I'm weak. I'm so glad that I'm going through this difficult spot. I'm so thankful that my life is so upside down and painful right now. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead wants to to deliver you from your difficulty or just give you the grace day by day to walk through the difficulty. The power that God has, he wants to rest upon you. I like that idea, rest. It doesn't come for a minute and then leave. It comes to stay. God wants to put his power upon you so that you can know the power of Jesus. You see, pride keeps us from admitting that we need help. Pride keeps us from saying, well, I don't need any help. I think I'm good. Guys are really good at this. We'll have a car break down in the middle of an intersection. We're going to push it ourselves out of the intersection. And someone will say, hey, you need a hand with that? No, I'll push it myself. You're going to push a car out of an intersection by yourself? Yeah, you got a problem with it? You need your help? I'm good, you know? You're changing a flat tire. You need help? Nope, I'm good. Guys are weird like that. What is it? Pride. I don't need no help. I'm good. I got this. Guys will go to lunch. Man, we'll fight over who gets to pay the bill, right? And then we'll keep a log on our phone of who paid the last time. I see we went to lunch back in May the 15th, and you bought that time. It's my turn this time. I got the next two times. Why? Sometimes it's just a heart to, to love and serve, but a lot of times it's pride. You know, if I pay my way, I got this. Pride does funny things. Pride keeps us from allowing Jesus' power to rest upon us. I got this. I don't need help. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've seen Christians fall into financial difficulty. What's the first thing they think? I'm going to start putting things on Craigslist. I'm going to have a garage sale. I'm going to see if we can sell the car. I'm going to cut off our cable. And all those things might be necessary and helpful, but one of the things you forgot to do is stop and pray. Stop and ask yourself this question. Am I managing God's finances because it belongs to God? Let me just say that. Am I managing God's finances in accordance with what the Bible says? Am I biblically handling my finances? If not, that's the first place to start for sure. And maybe you need to have a garage sale and sell your car. But I'm not going to run to that first. I've seen so many people, again, when I was in Pensacola, the the payday loans and the, the We pay cash for your car title loans and stuff like that. Big, huge mess. Why? Because people didn't want to ask for the help that they needed. People didn't want to avail themselves of resources that were there. And people didn't want to follow God's guidelines for handling stuff. God has a plan for everything. Just follow his plan. If you're unwilling to ask for help from God, then your pride will be your destruction. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's what the Bible says. But if I'm willing to be humble, God, I'm in a mess and I don't know what to do. I need your help. God, I have utterly wrecked my life on my own and I need you to fix this. If we're willing to allow ourselves to be honest with ourselves and honest with God, 
God says, I've got some power that's available for you that I want to put on you. Not because you deserve it, because first of all, God's gracious, and second of all, because God wants glory from it. I want to put my power upon you. I want you to see my strength at work. You see, Jesus' strength isn't needed. It's not necessary when we're strong ourselves. Paul's, God's glory, God's power, Christ's power was not visible when Paul had it all together. Because people look and go, oh, Paul got it all together. But when we look at Paul's life, Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel, yet he had joy. Whoa, God did something through Paul. Wow, Paul was shipwrecked and almost died. But he still continued to push on. Man, God did something through Paul. Man, Paul had friends of his, co-workers, co-laborers in the ministry who stabbed him in the back and spread lies about him. But he continued to press on anyway. Wow. We don't look at that and go, what an awesome guy Paul is. We say, whoa, whoa, whoa. God was at work in Paul's life in a serious way. And Paul would be the first one to name off all of his shortcomings and failures. But he would say, whatever good comes from my life, Paul said this, I know in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good about Paul, but man, when the grace of God is on Paul, when the power of God is upon Paul, Paul is now at his strongest. But that requires him to be weak first. See, God doesn't always remove our pain, but he always offers the grace to endure it. I cannot stress this enough. False teaching on the Bible says this, if you pray hard enough, God will bring it to pass. If you have cancer and you're willing to pray hard enough, God will deliver you from it. And let me just tell you, that's not a biblical thought at all. People, again, use verses out of context. Well, the Bible says if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So if you can move a mountain, you can certainly cure cancer. And all you need to do is declare it and believe it and have enough faith and you can overcome it. And let me just tell you, that's not biblical. It's just not. And the problem with that thinking is, let's just say, for example, we subscribe to that, that I just need to have more faith, more positive thinking, trust God more, pray harder, and then I'll be cured of my cancer, let's say. But my cancer isn't cured, it gets worse. What does that say about me as a Christian? Didn't have enough faith. Didn't believe hard enough. Didn't trust God enough. And let's just say that I die from my cancer. What would that say about my faith then? Didn't have enough, didn't pray enough, didn't believe God enough, and it's his fault that he died. There's no dying with dignity. There's no dying with grace in that poor theology because everybody who dies is a loser who didn't believe enough. It's terrible. And it's the opposite of who God is. But when you see people with God's grace upon their life and they say, hey, I know my days are numbered. I know the doctors have given me seven days to live, but I'm gonna trust God and praise him with my dying breath. You look at that and you go, whoa. That's the power of God on somebody. That's the power of Jesus on somebody. Somebody who can look death in the eyeball and say, to my dying breath, I will praise God. I love hearing stories about people who gather around the deathbed of a loved one. They hold hands and sing together. Love it. You know what? That's the power of God. And when a believer dies and goes to heaven, we can be sad for a minute because we're, they're not gonna be around in this life, but we can rejoice knowing that they're in heaven, rejoice knowing that we'll see them again one day, and rejoice knowing that we have eternity to celebrate the King of kings and Lord of lords together. 
But when we walk through that difficult time, God says, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. Hey, your medical diagnosis that you got, you might not beat it. And you gotta be okay with that. But God's gonna give you the grace every day that you need to make it through it. Hey, your financial difficulties that you're going through, there might not be an end in sight for you. You're just gonna have to trust God through it and ask for his grace every day. I can't say that God's gonna heal every marriage that's struggling. But I'm going to tell you this, God's got the grace that you need every single day to do it. And if you do it God's way, God will heal. God will restore. God's in the restoration business. And for every marriage that falls apart, it falls apart because they didn't do it God's way. God's grace is enough. God's grace is sufficient. I know your pain is difficult, but God wants to give you the tools and resources that you need every single day to walk with him and to make it through it on the other side, stronger, better, trusting God. That's his plan. And he says to Paul, Paul, I'm not gonna take away your your thorn in the flesh. Paul, I'm not gonna stop your suffering, but I will promise to give you my grace every single day. And my grace is, that's what he says, sufficient. It's enough. God's grace is enough. For whatever you're going through, whatever the hurt, whatever the pain, whatever the difficulty, God's grace is enough. You can trust him, but we have to run to his grace. We have to trust in his strength. You see, our weakness allows God's, us to live in Jesus' strength. Again, if you got your life together, you don't, you don't even know what I'm talking about here today, about suffering and difficulty. If your life is, is A-OK, your children are healthy, you got more money in the bank than you know what to do with, all of your bills are paid, uh, you know, life is going your way, you don't have a clue as to what I'm talking about today, and this really doesn't make a lot of difference to you. But if you've been through a trial, or you're currently in a trial, this all begins to click, hopefully. This begins to make a lot of sense about what God's doing. And let me just tell you this, if you're not going through a trial right now, I hope you're taking really good notes because your day's coming. And when it comes... I don't want you going, what is God doing? I'm trying to serve him and all this difficult stuff came my way. What's going on? Wait, you were warned well in advance. This was coming your way and when it comes, you need to say, okay, got it. I'm gonna trust in God. I'm gonna do things his way. I'm gonna obey him. I'm gonna have faith in him. I'm gonna glory in it. I'm gonna allow God's glory to be seen through my life. I'm just gonna trust God through this until I'm on the other side of it. Yeah, get it. That's the plan. (laughs) Affliction is sent to give me the opportunity to experience joy on difficult days. Paul says that God told him that his strength was made perfect in weakness. The toughest days of your life, God's grace is there. I heard one author say this statement and it stuck with me for years. We experience God most deeply on the worst days of our life. I thought to myself, that is so true. Hey, it's easy to give God praise when everything in your life's going good. It's easy. Man, hey, praise, praise God, I got, got promoted at work. Praise God, I'm making more money than I thought that I was. <laughs> There's been times where in, in April, when to do my taxes, I thought I was gonna have to pay and I got a refund. Woo, praise God. And he's good. No lie, no lie. We were self-employed a long time ago. Um, back uh, early 2000s, we were self-employed. We paid all of our taxes. I thought we were good. And then we got a letter from the IRS saying that we had not paid all of our taxes. And I was like, 
oh, I forgot about that, that one check that we had gotten. And we owed, no lie. This is after we had sold our business, went to Bible college, and we were flat broke. <laughs> we got a bill saying we owed $35,000 in taxes. <laughs> Wait, oh, so there was $35,000 that I didn't pay taxes on? No, 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 you owe $35,000. Oh, I check our bank account, we have like $75 to our name. It's like, this is bad, really bad. But you know what God says in that situation? My grace is sufficient for you. I'll take care of it. And guess what? We made minimum payments that we could until we could get it paid off. And you know what? God brought us through it. God showed himself strong. Again, big shocker. But God sends those things your way just to remind you you're not in charge. Trust in me. I've got this. And we can have joy on difficult days because of God's grace. See, if our heart is fixed upon God, our trials and suffering will produce joy. I know it's a crazy thought to think that difficulty can be sent your way, yet you still have joy, but that's exactly what, the way God intended it. We don't have time to, to look at the passage of Scripture, but John chapter 15, Jesus said this, if you abide in me and I in you, you're gonna produce fruit in your life. And when you stay connected to me, Jesus says, I'm gonna give you my joy so that your joy can remain full. I'm gonna put in you my joy. We can't work up joy on ourselves. We can't just try to put on a smile and put on a happy face and go about it. No, God, I need you like never before. And God promises that we can experience joy on difficult days. We take Makili or uh, yeah, Makili to uh, see her oncologist. We found out it was a cancer doctor at Children's Hospital LA. We walked out of there with more questions than we had answers. And you know what we did after that? We went to Chick-fil-A and had lunch, and it was awesome. <laughs> the town we were living in at the time did not have a Chick-fil-A. It was like, where's the nearest Chick-fil-A? Let's have lunch. What? Yeah. What, are we going to not eat? What, am I going to go through the drive-thru at McDonald's because I'm having a bad day? No, I trust God. I'm going to celebrate with the Lord's chicken today, right? Just the way, the way it's got to be. Because if my heart is fixed upon the Lord, joy will come despite my circumstances. Our pain has the opportunity to be spiritually productive and fruitful. Your pain, God wants to do something good from it. God wants to bring you out on the other side stronger, better, more reliant on him, more faithful, with greater trust in him, stronger. Hey, let's just say, for example, that I wanted to be physically stronger. How would I do that? go to the gym, lift heavy stuff, right? Or find a job where you work manual labor and you like bale hay or throw bags of cement on the back of a truck or something like that, right? But, but for those of us that don't like to do stuff like that, let's just say I go to the gym, right? I wanna get stronger, how do I do that? Lift heavy stuff. Well, I wanna get better at it, how do I do it? Do it more often, right? And then increase the weight that I use so that I can be stronger, right? Oh, I wanna be spiritually stronger, how do I do that? oh, just show up to church a couple of times a month and it'll just automatically work itself out. No. You know how you'll become spiritually stronger? Walk through those dark, difficult days and the only person that you can trust in is the Lord. And the only hope that you have to get you out of the mess that you're in is the Lord. I'm telling you this, if you dig in deep there, you'll be stronger. And you don't do it for a week or two weeks. You don't do it for a month or two months. 
you do it for years and you do it for decades. You just lean into the Lord hard again and again and again, day after day, month after month, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, and you will find yourself becoming spiritually stronger. <laughs> the supremacy of Jesus is shown in suffering. I have too much notes and not enough time this morning, so I'm going to cruise through this, all right? Jesus wants to be made great in your trial. I want to suffer in a way that makes Jesus look good. Think about that. I want to suffer in such a way that Jesus looks good. I don't want people to look at my life and go, wow, you're going through a tough spot. You sure are, chipper. I want people to say, what's your deal, dude? Oh, God's good. Oh, God's faithful. Oh, I trust him. He's in charge. Final thoughts this morning. God's grace is sufficient for what? First of all, to believe the gospel so that you can be saved. If you're here today and you're not saved, please don't leave here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Because I want to be very clear on this. If you are not a child of God, you are not saved, and you are going through a difficult time, it only gets worse after this life. Your suffering will be exponentially multiplied in hell for all of eternity, and there's no hope, no getting out of that, no, no, no answer for that. But God's giving you the grace today to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son for your sins so that you can be saved and heaven can be your home. That grace is extended to you today. And if you're not saved, you need to latch on to that today. But God also gives us the grace to understand and apply the word to all the issues that we have in life. The Bible has the answers that you need. I can't stress that enough. I don't tell you to read your Bible and pray every day because I think that you don't have anything to do. I don't just do it because it's like taking your vitamins. You don't know if they're working or not, but you just hope that they are. I love when people say, do you have a good multivitamin that you take? <laughs> I don't know. Are you taking sugar pills for all of I know? How are you supposed to tell whether it works or not? The Bible's not like that. You see God at work in your life. You see the things that you're walking through on pages of scripture that were written thousands of years earlier because it was God's letter to you on how to walk through this life and find the greatest joy through it. That's what God's doing for you. God gives you the grace that you need to overcome sin and temptation. That when you're tempted with sin, you can say no. You don't have to give into it because God's grace is strong enough to overcome that. If you're taking notes this morning, write Romans 6 beside that. If you struggle with sin and you can't seem to get past it, memorize the whole chapter of Romans 6. Power found there. God gives you grace to endure suffering, disappointment, and pain. And God says, I'm walking with you through this. I promise to never leave you or forsake you. I'm by your side through this. My grace is sufficient. You've got this with my help. And your weakness allows God's strength to be put on display. God gives you the grace to obey him. Again, if you choose to disobey God, just know it's not going to work out. It never does. Joy is found in obedience. Next, God gives you the grace to serve him effectively and to worship him. God's grace is sufficient. Whatever you're going through, God knows. He's walking through you with it. Lean into him like never before and allow the power of Jesus to rest upon you. I love that, that phrase, to rest upon me. It's like it's just sitting on my shoulders there, but it's not a burden, it's not a weight, it's actually a weight lifter on me. And the power of Jesus just sits on me, and God says, you got this, son. 
You got this. Day by day, because you're weak, I get to show you how strong I am. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, please do not leave here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. It's the only hope that you have. When you latch onto the grace of God for your salvation through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and you will experience a power that you've never had before in your entire life. You'll feel the presence of God walking with you through every dark trial that you've ever been through and will ever go through. If you're a child of God here today, if you're going through a trial, God's with you. Let his grace be enough. Let him strengthen you. you. Say, Pastor, I'm good right now. I'm not going through a trial. Take these notes, put them in the back of your Bible. You're going to need them soon because difficult times are coming. When they do, you need to say, okay, God's grace is sufficient. I'm going to trust him through this. We can see God's power at work. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.